1: Hello, everyone. I'm Dorothy Koshu, host of the Benefits Executive Roundtable and Vice President of Communications of the California Association of Health Underwriters. I'm happy to be recording this podcast today for both the use of Benefits Executive Roundtable and CAHU. I have with me today Ryan Day, President, and Colleen Dempewolf, Director of Strategic Product Development from HS Technologies, or HST as it's known, which is a multi-plan company that provides reference-based pricing to its self-funded health plans. Welcome, Ryan and Colleen. Thank you so much for being here today.
2: Dorothy, appreciate you having us.
1: Yeah, absolutely thank you oh it's gonna be it's gonna be fun i like doing this uh we've done this before uh, and so i'm really happy to have you guys back again at least i've done this with ryan before so colleen welcome to our podcast uh there's a lot going on right now in washington as we all know uh, it seems like they just keep pumping out more and more regulations on the consolidated appropriations act and we're going to be talking about one very important part of the caa today the no surprises act There's a lot to cover, so I'm going to dive right in with some questions. So let me give a little bit of background first. Uh, Most of us are aware that historically most health plans, whether they're group health plans, individual plans, marketplace plans, or Medicare options, they offer a network of providers and facilities for PPO or EPO networks. Uh, that agree to accept payment at a pre-established contracted rate. And then there are non-network providers that have historically charged greater amounts because there is no pre-established contracted rate. And in some cases, unfortunately, those non-network providers may bill the patients for the difference between the bill charge and the amount that the health plan paid, which we refer to as balanced billing or, in current terms, surprise billing. This balanced billing practice happens in both emergency and non-emergency care. And in the event of an emergency, of course, we want people to go and get care at the nearest emergency room. That's what they need to do to you know, take care of themselves. And in many cases, the professional service providers in that ER may not be contracted network providers. In my days, when I was in the TPA business, we used to call that force providers. And in some cases, consumers may see a large number of balance bills or surprise bills with those types of providers. Now we have the No Surprises Act, which is a new law that protects consumers from the types of balanced billing practices that I just mentioned. This act focuses on billing practices in certain non-network situations by limiting the amount of the bill to what would have been payable in the in-network arrangement. So here we go, Ryan. Here we go, Colleen. Here are some of my questions. First, What happens when plans don't have a network? Some self-funded health plans, for example, have eliminated their networks and replaced it with a form of health plan financing called reference-based pricing, which I know you guys are very familiar with because you do it every day. So can you explain to our listeners, first, what is reference-based pricing and how does this work?
2: Yeah, I think a a good way to explain reference-based pricing, it's a way of pricing claims uh, in lieu of a provider network. But What does that mean? Um, When we talk about reference-based pricing, what we're trying to figure out is what are you paying for a service? So we use benchmarks to do that. Medicare being one of the benchmarks or cost being one of the benchmarks. So being able to use those benchmarks allow you to do a reference-based pricing plan. Now, some folks will use it, you know, for just their out-of-network claims uh, that fall outside. Others will say, hey, you know what? We're gonna replace the network in in its entirety. So most of our customers use a network uh, for the professional and reference-based pricing for all the facilities.
1: Yes, we actually have clients that do both. As you are aware, we have some that are, you know, full reference-based pricing and some that use a network, so I'm very comfortable and familiar with that as well. Balance billing is something that RBP plans have had to deal with all along, not all the time, but a small percentage of the time. So before the No Surprises Act, what is the average percentage of claims that actually went to balance bill in your experience?
2: Yeah, so when you know, when you don't have a network with a provider, obviously, you know, they can balance bill the member. Um, but across it, looking at our our book of business, uh, we're a little under nine hundred thousand members. We see a little less than two percent pushback. It does happen, but we do a lot of the stuff to avoid it uh, ahead of time. So whether it's you know pre pricing claims up front, using the provider uh, tools that we have so providers can figure out pricing ahead of services, uh, or giving tools to the member through the mobile app and the website so that they can see who's accepting. Uh, reference pricing ahead of time, so not just waiting after the fact. So we try to get proactive uh, from that standpoint.
1: And so, what is it that the RBP vendor, like yourselves, what do you do when a balance bill comes into the plan participant?
2: Well, yeah, so we have a patient advocacy center. Uh, so we have a dedicated uh, intake team that takes in the uh, the member from a balance billing perspective. So they're assigned a case number. They're assigned a patient advocate, so that will live with the the life of them as they go through the balance billing process. We also then have communication pieces uh, that are very friendly for the membership so that they can understand who we are, what we do, even what type of plan they have, because they may not know. And so we do that whole education process. And then with our tools and technology, we're able to not only step in the member's shoes, talk to the provider, see if we can't come to some sort of resolution, but then keeping the members updated all along the way. I think one of the fastest growing things we've been able to see is uh, our membership. They, they prefer to the text. And so we're able to automate and have the text messaging flow out if they opt in. So as updates are made in our system, they can actually get a text message right then and there of what's happening. But we do phone calls and text are preferred, and then we have backups, emails, and then snail mail as well
1: okay so they do actually mail things into you from time to time
2: <laughs> <laughs> they do okay they do but preferred is like they take pictures that's normally how everything comes to us well
1: certainly the younger ones they all want to do everything yeah on their phones and they all want to you know, write texting and so and so forth what do they do what did, you know and well, Ryan, you're a lot younger than I am, but as I was gonna say, when I was a kid, we didn't have all those options. It wasn't as fun as it is today. We didn't have phones that we carried around with us and did all this technology stuff on our phones like today. So that must make your jobs a little bit easier, I would think. So It does. Uh, like It definitely does. Thank yeah, it, it definitely. Um, so is it fair to say that RBP plans and RBP vendors like yourselves, you may actually have a head start you know, to some extent in dealing with the No Surprises Act as it relates to balanced billing issues because you're already doing it?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Because, you know, you have to have the ability to negotiate claims and what happens when they don't accept that price. Like you got to have the analytics and tools behind it to be able to figure out like what other people are paying for that service, another hospital, uh, things like that. So, yeah, this type of requirement, I feel like is, you know, right in our bailiwick and it's really just an extension of our patient access center. So really, you know, having that process, now you just have to work with the provider and the member, and potentially an arbitrator. Uh, too. So you got to be able to pull all those details uh, real time to be able to you know address those issues.
1: Well, you make it sound easy peasy, Ryan.
2: <laughs> I do, but Colleen and Susan on the from the multi plan side, they will tell you there is a ton of work going into this to make sure that we can deliver on these
1: services. I I know that. I know that. Like I said, just from my own TPA background, I know that this is not going to be an easy task for a lot of people. And I think the learning curve on this is going to be long and hard for some. So I'm glad we have people like you that are already doing some of this or most of this. So I think that's going to make the process a lot easier. Well, let's get into some of the No Surprises Act intricacies now. The new law assumes to a certain extent that a health plan has a network in place. So what happens in a situation like your clients and like some of my clients, when they don't use a network and use a reference-based pricing approach?
3: Well, the law does make that assumption, but in the interim final rule that was published in July, uh, the regulators gave us some hints as to how they expect these plans to work. And they mentioned indemnity plans or plans with no facility network. And it confirms our thinking that these plans would limit surprise bill protections to emergency claims. And that's because there's no condition, um, such condition as an out-of-network provider at an in-network facility. So the rule also clarified that any ad hoc agreement between the plan and facility would be considered as a contracted facility for purposes of protecting the members. So reference-based pricing plans are for the most part limited to ER services except where these agreements
1: exist. Well, thank you for that clarification. Uh, Some RBP plans may pay all claims using reference-based pricing, and as Ryan mentioned before, and some use RBP for only their facilities. Uh, What do you think the biggest difference in relationship to the No Surprises Act for those with networks uh, versus those that are full RBP?
3: Well, use of a professional network won't significantly increase the scope of surprise bills for the reasons we just mentioned. Uh, There still is no facility network, so the impact is only ER claims, unless there are facility agreements in place, which for the most part is limited. So whether there's a network or not, reference-based pricing plans need to be ready to comply with the law in pricing emergency claims and air ambulance claims. And to the extent they have agreements with facilities or providers, they're going to need to consider those the same as network contracts when identifying surprise bills.
1: Okay, great. So last year, HST was purchased by MultiPlan. Can you tell us what advantage that may be for an RBP plan, whether or not they have a network in place?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at, you know, us being uh, purchased by MultiPlan, you know, from a, when you look at it from a a network standpoint, and the PHCS network, who most people are familiar with, if they use RBP, you know, the the relationship with MultiPlan now allows us to have a, a better integration. Uh, with when it's, in, you know, combined with reference pricing, you know, prior to, you know, us being required, most RBP vendors, the membership uh, for an employer, they've got to go to PHDS's website. Well, then what happens if they need to go look up facility stuff? Well, where do they go? Some vendors don't have anything. Others have some stuff. So then now you get two websites, members have to remember where to go. Whereas now we're able to integrate it where now you can just go in one one place. So where you can find the PHCS in-network providers, you can find the HST reference-based pricing experience with facilities. It's all a one-stop shop. So that's been something that's more unique uh, in that instance. And then reporting, right? So you have all this reporting where reports are separate. They don't talk to each other. Once again, you know, being uh, owned by MultiPlan, we're able to combine the PHCS, the HST results all into one nice clean dashboard for the employers to see. And you know, a lot of the other nuances that come with that where it's, you know, you know, consolidating two of something into one, that's been a big value for for a lot of our employers and plans as they move forward.
1: Okay, thank you. I'm sure people didn't quite understand how that would work, so I think that would be very helpful for them. Let's back up for just a moment for educational purposes for our listeners. The No Surprises Act addresses primarily emergency services, non-emergency services delivered out-of-network in an in-network facility and out-of-network air ambulance services. For those services in an RBP plan, how will these services be paid? Well, I think it's
3: important to know because I think there may be some confusion. Um, The No Surprises Act doesn't prescribe how the plan pays the provider initially, only that the member can't be balanced billed. So instead, the plan and the provider need to reach an agreement or take the case to arbitration. So this means the plan can continue to reimburse surprise bills using the current reference base price and any disagreements would be handled in the same manner it is today. Except instead of the member starting the process by reporting a balanced bill, the process starts with the provider Um, not being satisfied
1: with the initial reimbursement. Okay. Well, why don't you explain for me the coordination between the claims payer, like the TPA, and the RBP vendor in relation to the No Surprises Act. How important is that uh, cooperation and communication between the two parties?
2: Oh, I think it's, um, if you look at it, I think it's critical, right? You know, you want to make sure that the RBP vendor and the TPA are talking together, or at least have some cooperation, Because if you don't, you know, they're going to both look at each other and then the employer is going to be left holding the bag. So with the No Surprises Act, you know, there are new complexities in the relationship and things you've got to do and conform. Uh, But, you know, between the provider and the plan, you know, the communication is even more important. Um, As we all learn new requirements, I think one of the big things that we found out famously with the Affordable Care Act, you've got to pass the bill to see what's in it. I mean, No Surprises Act isn't much different. And so, you know, we've got to be able to make sure that we can, you know, disseminate what's in there. Uh, When we've seen in the past, you know, not all the laws make all the sense and practicality. So there is some adjustments that need to be made. So when you're working on those changes and adapting quickly, um, you've got to be able to have that communication uh, with that TPA and RVP vendor.
1: Yes. And as a person who used to run a TPA, I can tell you right now that I'm very happy I'm not running a TPA right now because (laughs) I wouldn't want to have to do this. It's just, it's going to be complicated. I think the learning curve is going to be Really long and hard, so you'd be surprised
2: a lot of them are are unprepared, um, but there's a lot of them that are being prepared, or they're depending on other vendors to do it for them right, and I think so it's interesting,
1: yeah, I, th- I think a lot of them are going to be depending on people like you <laughs> for sure for sure well, let's talk about the new acronyms that were created by the No Surprises Act, the qualifying payment amount or QPA. Can you explain in layman's term what the QPA is?
3: I sure can, so the qpa stands for qualifying payment amount, uh, and it's defined as the median contract rate of the plan adjusted for consumer price index in urban areas. So for reference-based pricing plans that have a professional network, any professional claim that isn't matched to a provider in the network needs to have a QPA calculated, and that QPA is what's used to determine the member's share of the cost. And it also becomes an important value during arbitration, assuming the claim goes that far. And the interim final rule published in in July, um, it was unclear whether the QPA also applies to facility claims where there's no facility network um, and therefore no contract to determine the medium of. So we have some ideas We have asked the regulators via the commentary period for clarification. The plan also may decide to actually revise the reimbursement for surprise bills to be something closer to QPA in order to minimize that likelihood of negotiation and potential arbitration.
1: Yeah, I just love all these new acronyms they keep throwing at people. They you know, It's like they don't have enough to deal with right now. Now they have to learn all these new acronyms, but thank you for explaining that so clearly for us. The QPA is basically going to add steps to the claims payment process. Self-funded health plan sponsors are going to have to rely on their TPAs to assist them in the QPA process and determine a qualifying payment amount. However, We all know on this, you know, while we're recording this podcast, we know that it's not always going to fall on the TPAs. They're going to be looking to others, people like yourselves, to help them because they're not in the position to have the data available a lot of times. Uh, So they're going to need some help with this sort of thing, like uh, an RBP vendor or something to be able to assist them with this. What type of role will an RBP vendor like yourselves have in this process?
3: Well, multi agrees that it is the primary PPO's role to provide that QPA when a claim is submitted for network pricing uh, and wasn't matched to a provider. So we're prepared to provide the QPA for all claims we price through our primary networks. And that also is going to include customers using HST for facility pricing and a multi-plan primary network for professional pricing. So this means TPAs using our services in combination will get that QPA back from us for any out-of-network claims because without it, they can't adjudicate the surprise bill claim correctly. And we built this QPA calculation technology for our own use, but we designed it to be something that can work with any network. So multi can also determine QPA for a TPA based on networks other than our own.
1: Well, that's, that's kind of handy that you guys have done that. That's, that's very valuable at a time like this. Um, I'm sure there are going to be a lot of people relying on you even more. Well, let's talk about arbiters and their role in the QPA process. Arbitrators will have to determine a baseline factor that they're going to consider when determining a final amount to be paid under the new independent dispute resolution process. The interim final rules for the No Surprises Act state that if a payer, such as a health plan, can't resolve a payment settlement with the provider, then the payer and the provider must resolve the payment dispute using methods of negotiation and arbitration. Some call this a baseball-style arbitration system, and that actually makes it easier for some people to understand that sports analogy. Uh, relating it to the baseball-style arbitration system. So, what role will RBP vendors play in the IDR process, and what makes an RBP vendor like HST different from other RBP vendors?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I think you've kind of heard through the podcast kind of what makes us different, having the the resources and multi-plan backing us. You've heard it; like they built the whole technology to be able to handle uh, the QPA. So that says a lot already. Uh, But when it comes to the No Surprises Act, I mean, the process doesn't end just with negotiations. And I think that's pretty standard for for most um, RBP vendors. So now if we can't reach an agreement with the provider, you know, it's either the provider or the plan that's, you know, going to take that claim to arbitration. So when you look at it, you know, HSC has got to utilize not only, you know, our significant technology and analytics, but multi-plans technology and analytics too, you know, to help you know, help the plan determine the the best final offer for that arbitration. So we, we and you know, to take it a step further, we also intend to manage the arbitration process on the plan's behalf. So I would say that's, you know, what makes it different as well.
1: Okay. Well, there's concern that RBP plans, uh, you know, their payment levels, uh, which of course are based on uh, percentage above Medicare rates, that they may not be able to be sustained with the No Surprises Act. Do you see the percentage of Medicare payments to providers increasing due to the No Surprises Act?
2: Uh, we, we don't see that just based on like when we looked at the impact on our block of business on, you know, with the No Surprises Act, it was a very minimal impact. I'm, you know, I'm talking less than, you know, 50 claims. Um, but we don't see a lot of appeals from providers, uh, you know, related to surprise billers. Um, but, you know, the law shines a, a spotlight on surprise bill reimbursements. So we're expecting some pushback that we haven't historically seen because we are now going to have to adjust potentially some reimbursements on the physician side. So we've looked at the q p a uh, you know the p h e s network and you know compared it you know to a majority of our customers and yeah, there are gonna be some higher rates you know on some of those emergency surprise bills uh but nothing that's gonna you know be so substantial that it's gonna you know water down the savings of, uh, you, know, you know, RBP vendors and, and our overall reimbursement strategy.
1: So people don't have to worry if they're using reference-based pricing that all of a sudden they're going to have to go from 150% of Medicare to 400% of Medicare then, you don't think?
2: No, I don't, I don't think it's going to be an overall basis, right? I think particular claims, yes, they will jump up uh, for sure. Like, you know, plans will have to adopt plan language to let them, you know, go above and beyond their normal, like, say, operating corridors on the Medicare+. plus. So they'll have to, you know, have some latitude to, you know, play within the QPA. You know, you could be in the 200s range, uh, a little higher than the 200s for sure. But when you're talking about some of the physician claims you're talking about, you're talking more on small dollar claims. So that's kind of how I would, you know, address that. But, you know, when, when we looked at, you know, from HST, you know, we give the provider significant benefits, you know, just by doing RPP that they normally don't have. Uh, when they're out of network, you know, if they're being looked up in a mobile app, they're being, you know, remember steerage, uh, you know, from that, you know, the high acceptance rating, that's where we we start to see the benefits of, you know, having uh, this type of participation. So it'll be interesting to see you know, how that
1: plays out. So if, if someone now has a plan that has pays 150 percent of Medicare and they give you guys automatically uh, the ability to negotiate up to, say, 200 percent. Um, I'm thinking that along the lines of what we just talked about, what you just talked about, uh, was that they may consider raising that point from 200% to a little bit higher, um, yeah, maximum we, we, negotiation, right?
2: We may have to just for the QPA claims, right? Just to make sure that we, the plan spells it out correctly. Uh, and then that way it still has, uh, the teeth that, you know, you want it to have. So you've got to be able to have the flexibility to be able to increase the reimbursement on surprise bills. So you know we're checking you know we're trying to make sure that we can avoid arbitration for our customers. Nobody wants to go to arbitration, yeah. so it's not like it's a uh, a non costly uh, not procedure, but it's definitely something that's costly to the plans uh and us
1: yeah, for sure well, let's talk about some. Options. Um, I like to call them workarounds, but my attorney doesn't like me calling it that because she says it sounds like I'm trying to get away, you know, trying to work around the law. That's not what my terminology is when I talk about that. So I'll say options. What are some let's talk about some options that RBP plans, uh, you know, may want to consider for the No Surprises Act. I've heard most commonly one-off facility agreements, creating a network facility or a single case agreement, which may be negotiated before the patient arrives at a hospital or a surgery center, for example. Can you explain what is meant by one-off agreements and what may occur with the No Surprises Act?
3: Well, the interim final rule does speak to these single case rate agreements. Um, And what it is, is it pertains to a specific patient So these would have to be considered in identifying a surprise bill, but they aren't factored into the QPA calculation. And reference-based pricing plans uh, often have agreements that aren't patient-specific. And we think uh, these are the same as network contracts and would be considered for both the surprise bill ID and the QPA calculation.
1: Is there concern that these one-off agreements may set precedents or may be considered a contracted rate under the No Surprises Act? Well, it's a good
3: question, but the regulators were really explicit in allowing for these agreements. So they don't impact the plan's QPA, but they do increase the scope of the law by requiring the facility with an agreement to be considered contracted for any out-of-network services performed at the facility for a patients' course of care. Bottom line, we'll have to wait and see what the long-term impact of these patient-specific agreements are, but on the surface, it seems like it may be a lot of administrative burden for the benefit.
1: Yeah, for sure. Another option that's talked about is setting up direct provider contracts, but those may be limited to certain services only, and talk is that if providers do services that weren't part of the direct provider contract, that the providers could opt out, you know, They could opt to balance bill for the additional services, and then we're back to where we started. So should self-funded plan sponsors using RBP, should they be concerned about this? And if so, what will RBP vendors like HST, you know, do to support them to resolve these types of issues?
2: Yeah, I think when you look at um, direct-to-employer contracts or, you know, we'll call them direct-to-employer, you know, that's something that's in our bailiwick that we offer our clients today. You know, obviously a lot of health systems, you know, they talk about critical mass, like, you know, how many how many employee lives what are you spending where where is all the care going and so being able to have all those talking points and this kind of speaks to the, the multi-plan integration we haven't even begun to talk about their network side and the relationships that they do have with health systems that it gives us a foot advantage across any RBP vendor because we already know a lot of the folks who to talk to so i we actually look at this as i don't see it as a negative um, i actually see it as a positive because direct to employer is something that we see that's going to you know take take more and more employers' uh, attention when they start to say, hey, you know, I'm going to buy healthcare differently. You know, RBP is great, but I also want to take a look at maybe, you know, doing a direct with a health system. So we've got a a good chunk of relationships across the country that we tap into now for the direct-to-employer.
1: Well, that's great. Uh, so how does HST propose to bridge the gap if and when facilities refuse to accept payment, you know, entirely from RBP plans? Because I have heard a lot of talk about that. There's, if they're RBP, we're just not going to say, we're not going to let them in the door. Uh, so, you know, is, what about that fear and what will happen with the No Surprises Act? What, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah. And that's something, you know, we're examining internally, you know, both uh, HST and multi The reason for it is, is, you know, we don't want to have a negative connotation associated with the network and RBP and because some RBP vendors just do it a little bit differently. So, you know, when you, when you, when you look at that, you, you can have a provider that absolutely says, no, I'm not going to accept this. You need to pay me cash up front. Now we have tools to be able to step in place, to be able to handle that, you know, such as what we call provider quick pay, where we can step in that member's shoes, We just need to understand what the provider's doing, you know, what services are you rendering to make sure the payment can fall within the plan guidelines. And then we can offer a virtual credit card right then and there. So we have that ability to address that, but let's not wait that far, right? You know, we can see all the history and information on the mobile app, the website, looking at HST's acceptance rate. So when you have that information, if you see somebody that's red, a lot of times it's because we're either seeing higher pushback, maybe they're asking for cash up front. Well, let's steer around them. Once you tell a hospital you're steering care away from them, they start to perk up a little bit. And a lot of the hospitals we're partners with, we want to steer more business to them. So that's kind of how
1: we see it. Okay. Well, should self-funded plans that are considering RBP, you know, for the first time, should they shy away from this financing method because of the No Surprises Act? And if not, why?
2: I think it only enhances it. I mean, we're, we're here we are, we're all talking about transparency and no surprises. Like, I think we're really dancing around the issue. Like we gotta address the elephant in the room. It's like if you look at uh, healthcare, it moves in one direction, it's up. So we gotta do something different. We gotta buy health healthcare differently. So I think the No Surprises Act just really shines a little bit more light in putting credence in, yeah, we have to purchase it better. Uh we gotta understand what we're paying for. How do we remove people from, you know, being devastated by balance bills? Like how do we also, you know, make healthcare more affordable for people? A $5,000 deductible health plan, someone earning $15 an hour, that's a tall order for them to be able to go get healthcare and afford it. So how do we make that more affordable? So I think reference-based pricing is here to stay. I,
1: I, I think it is too, actually. And, um, people tend to forget that health insurance is expensive because the cost of health care is expensive. And that's exactly what RBP plans and RBP vendors go after. You know, they go actually after keeping the actual cost of the health care itself more affordable by using a reference rate. Are there portions of the no surprises act that you're waiting on for additional guidance from Washington? I mean, I know there is, but uh, what specifically are you guys waiting for?
3: Uh, So yes, unfortunately the interim final rule in July didn't cover all the requirements. And so we're expecting the second interim final rule in October uh, to provide detail on the independent dispute resolution process, um, the cost estimation process, and the advanced explanation of benefits requirement. Um, In addition, uh, we're expecting additional guidance on the coordinating requirement for providers to furnish a good faith estimate to the number.
1: That's that's not much at all. easy peasy, right, Ryan? <laughs> no,
2: just a few things. Yeah, but snap my fingers and it's done.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, on a scale of one to ten, how confident is HST that R V P issues that people are concerned about under the No Surprises Act will work themselves out with proper vendors and experts in place to guide the plan sponsors?
2: Yeah, I I you know, to be honest, I I'm at the let's say on the scale of, you know, one to ten about an eight that they're gonna work itself out. Yes, we need a little bit of more detail on how certain things run, but confident, you know, that the proper vendors and experts are putting put into place. I know from our standpoint, we'll be ready to handle and, uh, you know, chin the bar, so to speak, when people call upon us for QPAs and what they need.
1: So you're actually saying number eight, huh? On a scale of one to 10. That's pretty confident. I'm... (laughs) (laughs) That's good to hear though. You guys need to be confident. I'm happy to hear that.
2: Yeah, Um, we have to, you know, we definitely have to.
1: Good. If people have questions uh, about this, want to reach out to you guys, uh, reach out to HST, how can they do that?
2: Yeah, I think, um, you know, if they want to reach out, uh, they can reach out to me directly and then I can loop in the right people such as Colleen and team, you know, to kind of dig into it further, but they've got, I know a lot of educational webinars coming up, you know, as you know, new rules come out, what's the impact, how does it work? So Definitely tune into those as well.
1: And how could they reach out to you then? Just through your website?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we can uh, you know, we can do it one of two ways. You can go to our website, hstechnology.com, or you can email us at info at
1: Great. Thank you. Well, I want to thank you guys so much for joining me today. This was a ton of information. What you guys had to say was very valuable, and I'm sure it's going to be very helpful to our listeners, particularly those with RBP financing and their self-funded health plans. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much.
2: We appreciate you having us.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Thanks, you guys. Well, we'll, I'm sure we'll be hearing more from you in the future. Good luck with everything as you roll this out. And uh, I'm glad to be uh, working with you guys and uh, happy that you were able to do this podcast. So thank you very much.
2: Likewise.
0: Thank you. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for compliance tips, cost containment ideas, new trends, and decision-making tools. This podcast is produced by Advanced Benefit Consulting, Anaheim, California. All views expressed are those of the host or interviewees and not necessarily those of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Information contained herein should not be construed as legal advice. We always recommend that you consult with your legal counsel as situations do vary. Ms. Koshu can be reached at 714-693-9754, extension 3. Toll free at 866-658-3835 or visit our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com.